0: today on city Cash Chicago. Chicago Restaurant Week 2024 kicks off this Friday and features special tasting menus at hundreds of restaurants across the city. Trust me, it's a great way to try new restaurants on a budget, but also it gives you a chance to get out and try some delicious foods you didn't even know were invented in Chicago. Yeah, last year we sat down to learn all about Chicago's classic culinary contributions. It's Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Monica Ang and David Hemmen are the authors of Made in Chicago, Stories Behind 30 Great Hometown Bites. David, Monica, thank y'all. David, I know this is your first time on CityCast Chicago. Monica, this is your 511th 11th time. Uh, welcome back to CityCast.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Glad to be here. David, can you tell me about your love for Chicago foods? How far back does it go and how much does it have your heart?
2: Oh, it goes back to the 1950s when I first started eating Chicago food. Come on. Um, And I was interested in exploring some of the foods that I did grow up with. Okay, Most of which are still around, like the Chicago corn roll tamale, which I think is a good example of a food that I do not consider awesome, but it is a Chicago favorite. And when I was a kid. I really liked them because they were the least expensive thing I could buy at a hot dog vendor. Monica, I don't know when's the last time you got a Chicago corn roll tamale, but at Johnny's, they're like $1.98 or something. for
1: What? It's, I know, it's crazy. Inflation. <laughs> I, I do remember when they were like 10 cents. Yeah,
2: yeah, right. That's how I remember them. And I also remember them <laughs> as being, and you find this at some places, yeah. a bunch. Yeah. Chicago corn roll tamale, there's like this. Yeah origami maneuver that's made so that you get, instead of one big tamale, you get like four little mm-hmm. tamales, little baby tamales, and they seem to be, I don't know why this is, but they seem to be more luscious somehow, <laughs> maybe greasy is another word for it, but they they seem to go down easier than that big carbohydrate tube of a regular Chicago uh, (laughs) corn roll tamale, which I do think there are good applications of. I think the best application Mm -hmm. is in chili itself. You treat it just like a dumpling, dice the corn roll tamale up, throw it in chili, which is called a tamale boat at some places in Chicago.
0: You putting me on right now, Dave, because I'm gonna be real, I had never heard or have never even had uh, a corn roll tamale in my life.
1: What?
2: I'm kind of glad to hear that, kind of, because that means the book will have news for you.
0: Yeah. No, there are a few things as I go through the table of contents and I look at these 30. There are things that I know but have never eaten and would never eat. We'll talk about those. Yeah. There, yeah, there are some that, I, that I've never heard of. But then there are ones that that they know me. Like that, like we're best friends. Give me a chapter 23 smothered in a chapter 20. <laughs> and that's a pizza puff covered in mouth sauce. Uh, and, and, and we good. But I got to ask y'all, mom, what's your favorite thing to eat from this book?
1: Well, look, dude, I'm a Puerto Rican. And <laughs> so I got to go with the jibarito. Describe it for people. Okay, so think of a steak sandwich, and really you can put anything in the middle, but think of a steak sandwich with griddled ribeye and some mayo and some lettuce and tomato and American cheese. Okay, not the greatest. But instead of using a roll, you take two green plantains, slice them lengthwise, fry them, smash them, and refry them, until they're like a big nutty french fry and then smear them with garlic and then make that the bread on your steak sandwich mm. and then you crunch it all together and it's the most wonderful combination of kind of salty and sweet and crunchy and cool and meaty and greasy that you've ever had.
0: You can literally describe anything with a a sort of visual competence i've once (laughs) heard you describe the inside of a corroding lead pipe Mm. and i was taken aback listening to you talk about a he burrito (laughs) i shouldn't have just had water this morning because this is a terrible conversation to go into on an empty stomach and monica you already make me regret my decision david what's that that uh food for you that you can't help but love
2: I have an old favorite and a new favorite. The old favorite okay, is come on. probably the Italian beef. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in, Ch- I was born in Chicago, lived in Chicago until about fifth grade. Then we moved to Elmhurst. Then I lived back in Chicago. In Elmhurst is where I was introduced to the Italian beef sandwich. Mm-hmm. I love beef. You know, I'm really kind of embarrassed to say, I mean, we should all be eating less beef. <laughs> I should be eating, my cholesterol's high. I'm taking pills for that. So it's not something you can eat very often. And I find that it's best to eat in the summertime because again, a lot of these foods are a little bit messy to eat and I can eat them in my car. Most of them, the, the sweet steak sandwich, I could not eat in my car car nah that won't that won't get a little messy fortunately it was it was a warm day, so I could eat al tronco. <laughs> yeah, the Italian beef, which I really feel, we have the Italian beef, the Chicago hot dog, and the deep dish pizza. Those are like the triumvirate, the trinity of the three major Chicago foods.
0: How do you like your, yours prepared, right? Most Italian beefs, right? Hoagie roll, thinly sliced beef, some giardiniera, but, but how
2: do you like yours prepared in particular? Hot and sweet, dipped. Hot and sweet, dipped, all right. That is, I want it dipped. And dipped is a little bit, I mean, I had to work up to that. The first, the first Italian beans I had were not, were not dipped. They they weren't dry either. They put a little jus on there, a little, little bit. But now I'm ready. You know, I I like it when the consistency inside the roll mm-hmm. is. It has kind of like the consistency of shaving cream. I mean, it's kind of fluffy <laughs> and uh, and soft. I mean, that may sound revolting <laughs> to some, but it's it's the way I've grown to love it.
0: your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S., they got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Is there a story of how a food came to be that was extremely fascinating to you that maybe you didn't know before the book or you were so excited to get into the book? Monica, is there an origin story uh, that you really love?
1: Well, I really love the origin story for the sweet steak, but possibly my favorite was the pizza puff. Okay, come on. There was a man named Eli Shabazz who sold um, old baby buggies that he turned into hot dog carts at the turn of the century. You put a Bunsen burner under there and you can turn a baby buggy into a hot dog cart. That's how hot dogs were sold in Chicago. And so every week he would go to his customers and say, hey, uh, you need to pay me for the rental of the cart and the equipment that I sell you. And one week... The widow of one of his customers said, I'm so sorry, my husband's died. I have nothing I can give to you except this recipe for corn roll tamales. And he started what's called Il Taco. Illinois Tamale Company Mm -hmm. going along and his sons take over the business and they're delivering hot dog equipment to now the places that sell hot dogs which are hot dog stands which have this new thing called a fryer because they're frying hot dogs and they're like but I'm getting killed by this new thing called pizzerias how can we possibly (laughs) compete against this new thing called pizzerias and he said oh well let me think about it so as they're making their tamales they're sitting around saying let's mess around with some flour tortillas we've got a Mexican American population here, so let's get some flour tortillas. Maybe let's throw some sausage and some tomato sauce and some cheese in here. Finally, they perfected it, and it works so well. It becomes like fluffy, flaky puff pastry when you put it in that fryer. So I thought that that was a wonderful... Comment on how Chicago fast food progressed since the beginning of the the 20th century, and how all those things came together: the the hot dog stand, the push carts, the French fries, the tamales, and then the pizza puff, um, all all invented by immigrants.
0: I really appreciate again, y'all taking my nostalgia for loving these foods, whether it's rib tips or pizza puff, or even a rainbow cone, and just providing this next layer. I'm not gonna be able to eat these foods. The same again, because now I'll just have this deeper story. Were there any foods on this list that you did not know anything about before deciding to narrow it down,
2: David? Well, one food that I didn't know anything about, because it's offered on the south side, Mm -hmm. is the sweet steak. I hadn't had one before. Uh, I have had one since. In fact, just two weeks ago, my wife and I drove to the south side, went to Home of the Hoagie. And this I found to be kind of an interesting situation. We walked in at about two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, perhaps the worst time to go to a place like Home of the Hoagie. Uh, We walked into a room with about two dozen. I mean, people were coming and going and putting in order and leaving. I mean, it was not a big room. So we asked the lady, we walked up to a lady, we put in our order, walked up to a lady and said, so how long do you think it's going to be? And she said, oh, about an hour. And we're like, oh, geez, okay. Ended up being 90 minutes uh, for a sandwich. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I've ever waited 90 minutes for any food of any sort. Uh, I'm glad I did because it gave me a chance to, you know, eat this delicious sandwich on a warm afternoon. But what, what drives people to do that? And the one conclusion I came to, and maybe not the right one, but one, is that it's it's their thing. Uh-huh. It, it Sweet sandwich is a South Side thing. People are kind of proud of it. And it appeals to this sensu- sense of food tribalism, which also covers certain dislikes and hatreds. For instance, ketchup on a hot dog in Chicago. I think Chicagoans are borderline pathological about their hatred of ketchup on a hot dog.
0: I love ketchup on a hot dog, and I'll put these hands up against anybody. I'll fight anybody. Good for you, man. Who wants to tell me what to take off my hot dog.
2: Yeah. And Chicagoans will put all kinds of ungodly stuff into their mouths. But suddenly with ketchup, they get all principled. And, you know, oh, no,
1: (laughs) I think people pretend I think they, they generate outrage about it.
0: I do, too. There are a few foods on this list that I'm familiar with, but I've never actually eaten. So like a a bone-in pork chop sandwich from Maxwell's. When I go to Maxwell's, I want a burger covered in grilled onions.
1: Burger? Not a Polish?
0: Uh, you know, I get it sometimes, but I, that Maxwell burger covered in them onions, it just do something different. But there are some on here, whether it's Chapter 1, uh, Akatagawa. I never even heard of this. Chapter 11, Flaming Saganaki. Monica, you know a lot about a lot of things. It's the reason we've had you on the show 5011 times. Is there anything on this list that you were not familiar with before going into the process?
1: Well, I hadn't eaten a sweet steak before I started. And and so that was new for me. I'm trying to think the Akutagawa I had had before. And, but I, I loved that story that talked about people who were forcibly interned during World War II and then forcibly relocated away from California. Chicago was one of the biggest spots where they were forcibly relocated and told to stop being Japanese. Do not congregate together. Do not act Japanese for your own good. And I loved that The Akutagawa represented sort of slyly trying to still be Japanese in Wrigleyville when you were told to to cut it out. And so, you know, a place called Hamburger King, you know, the Sato family was just like, okay, we are going to act as American as possible. We're opening up a restaurant called Hamburger King. But, you know, you have George Akutagawa coming in from the Nisei Lounge, a regular, and saying, hey, could you make me some of those eggs? And could you throw in some hamburger and green pepper and onion and some bean sprouts? And then I can have something that is sort of secretly Japanese. And then everyone's like, I'll have what he's ordering. What do we call it? And still today, in that spot, they're serving the Akutagawa and in other places where other chefs have gone. And so, I mean, I had no idea that that investigations of these dishes would yield these rich stories that tell you about Chicago's past, that tell you about different waves of migration and different cultures. But they ended up, you know, serving up these delicious stories of history. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, as you move through this list, you see things that even though plenty of Chicagoans have eaten them, you you say this feels, you know, special to, uh, you know, Japanese Americans living here. There there's some special for Puerto Ricans who are living in Chicago for working class Italians and Irish folks for for black folks who are going to put mouth sauce on. Honestly. Pretty much anything on this list will we'll probably eat it. <laughs> Often, the story of food is the story of community, is the story of migration. To live in a city that is so known for its segregation, what is it like to write a book about the foods that bring us together?
1: I, I'd like to believe that these foods bring us all together, but what struck me in a really sad way, and I didn't want to bring people down in the book, is how these foods really pointed to our segregation. Mm. You ask someone on the far north side, hey, have you tried steak and lemonade or a jimshu? They're like, steak and what? And a what? You ask someone on the far south side, have you tried an Akotogawa? What are you talking about? We have these foods that are delicious that really say... North and South, different cultures. And what we really hope is this, this book will tell you hey, this is all Chicago. You should learn about all these foods. You should go into another part of town that you've never been to because there's delicious stuff there, delicious stuff that even other states are eating. There are steak and lemonade joints in Kentucky, and there are gym shoes that are served in, in, in Wisconsin. There are hibaritos that are served in Ohio, and yet people across town. Maybe they've never heard of them. I'm hoping that this book can bring us all together and say, hey, Mm. you want to be a Chicagoan? Check off 30 of these things on your list, and it will bring you to parts of the city that you may never have been, and it will allow you to taste the flavors of your fellow Chicagoans and maybe get to know them better through that at least.
0: But you're right. When I was growing up, I just knew pizza puffs and rib tips. I had never heard of, you know, gum pong chicken wings. I had never heard of the cornrow tamale um or or you know this uh just Pretty much like fried cheese that you can get over in Greektown, right? <laughs> the Saganaki. So there were so many things on here that I had heard of, I knew of, or I, I had never known. And, and you're right. So, so I'm glad that this book can both uh, find ways to encourage people to, to leave their neighborhood while simultaneously giving a nod to the nostalgia of the things we grew up with. So, so I really appreciate that. There are plenty of foods on this list that I imagine as long as Chicago is Chicago, these foods will be around. Are there any on this list, though, that you think over the last few years or even the last couple of decades that just it, it sort of maybe slowly faded from most people's memory and even some popular menus and it's just harder to get than ever before?
1: I think maybe the Akutagawa, um, it's still at least two places, but um, if rice and bread, which is in the current location of the Hamburger King, ever closes, it may fade. I was worried that the Rainbow Cone would fade, Mm. but who knew that uh, they would actually start expanding into Buona Beefs and other places in in recent years? Because it could have really died out as just this far south side um, outpost. Um, how, about, how about you, David?
2: You better get your flaming cheese while you can. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, come on. Because I think that is on the way out, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there's this guy, uh, Alexakis. He owns the Avli Tavernas and Avli on the Park. They're Greek restaurants. And he served a flaming cheese, flaming Saganaki, which uh, was popularized probably in the 70s at either Diana's or the Parthenon. I kind of tend toward Diana's, but a lot of people think the Parthenon came up with this flaming Saganaki. At Avli on the Park, which is in Lincoln Park, uh, he does not serve his Saganaki flaming. He puts a little peppered fig on top. However, he has a location in Wanetka. A little bit more conservative, maybe older people. So he's serving. More
1: pyromaniacs. More pyromaniacs.
2: So he's serving the flaming cheese up there, but not in the newer, hipper location. So I think that maybe, and this is not something you'd see in Greece either. This is a Chicago thing. Flaming Saganaki, it's an appetizer. People have, you've heard it like, you've been to Greek restaurants where people say, Opa, they're flaming the cheese. Uh, it's it's kind of traditional. And I think for those people who've gotten who've grown up with that, as I have, if you don't have the flaming cheese before dinner, you feel empty inside. <laughs> You're missing something. <laughs> the experience is not complete.
0: Monica Ang and David Hammond are the co-authors of Made in Chicago: Stories Behind Thirty Great Hometown Bites. We appreciate y'all making time for CityCast Chicago today.
1: Hey,
2: great being here, Jacoby.
1: Thanks so much, Jacoby.
0: Before we let you go, remember to check out our newsletter, Hey Chicago, and the website chicago.citycast.fm. And if you're saying, Kobe, I already know about the website, and I already read the newsletter, and I listen to the podcast every day, well, you sound like a super fan, and I could be real with you. Those things cost money to make. I'm not asking you to pay for it all, but maybe consider becoming a member of CityCast Chicago. Starting at $8 a month, you can support the work that you love and the work we love creating. You can do it now at membership.citycast.fm. I know what you're thinking, Kobe. I'm not going to go if I don't get what I came here for. I know what you came here for. Some good news. The weather is supposed to be back in the 10s later this week. Yeah, it's like the 10s, like the just the 10s. So I'm thinking of maybe stepping outside the house and hitting the Mick Jenkins tour at House of Blues on Friday. If you are looking for a great show this week, check out the Chicago show calendar on Instagram. I'll drop a link for you in the show notes. Hey, I appreciate you for being here, for putting your friends and family on. We're going to be here bright and early tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. Peace. And the work that we love making. You could...
1: You were there. You were
0: like, I oh. was, but I my brain eliminated Work, weed. And making. I was like, did I just say, we love making? And, and so then <laughs> I just <I> caught myself. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. <laughs> and I was just like, hold on, we love making. I had to stop my eye. Here we go. <laughs>